Welcome. I invite you to stand uh, as we read the Word of God and focus our minds, our hearts, our souls, our bodies as we listen for a word from God in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Try that again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. rejoice. You can go to the next one now, Reuben. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, the Word of God. God. You may be seated. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. rejoice. We memorize this scripture verse from Zero in Sabbath schools, right? You all know the song, Rejoice in the Lord? Who of you you know the song, Rejoice in the Lord? Rejoice in the Lord always, Santa. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, rejoice. Excellent. Can I say rejoice? There are two junior high teachers here, I think, that were doing the clapping. Rejoice in the Lord always, always. And again, I say rejoice. It is such a familiar passage to us. We know it by heart. But the interesting thing is that the word joy, even though Paul uses it here in Philippians, the word joy is rarely used in antiquity. It is not used very often because people during antiquity had a profound pessimism concerning life. This was true for inhabitants of Athens or of Egypt. This was true in the time of Homer or in the time of Augustine. This was true in the world of Jesus and in the world of Paul. This was true in times of bounty and times of famine. This was true in times of peace and in times of war. This was true in times of blessing and, yes, even of epidemics. Why was there this profound pessimism towards life? Because of death, for which suffering was the prelude. And because suffering is the prelude to death and there was this profound skepticism, Communities try to to, to wrestle with what to do with suffering and for the most part try to avoid it. And so religion came along and religion said that the body is bad, material things are bad. And so religion promised to transcend the material by appeasing the divine and that did not work out well. And then philosophers came along and promised freedom from anxiety and yet death was still there. People turned towards science and and, and medicine, and for those who could afford it, which were only a few, it helped until it did not. 
People turn towards art, music, and, and dramas, and carnivals to try and provide an escape from suffering and death. And even imperial Rome tried to get at this by claiming that they had produced the right world order and prosperity for all, except the all did not include most people. In the end, all die in spite of the empire, in spite of the arts, in spite of philosophy or wealth or music or, or, or anything like that. Everyone dies. And so it's no surprise that in antiquity, joy, the word joy is rarely mentioned. And in our world, well, we talk about happiness a lot. But we don't often experience it, or it is always evading us. And so we have articles that help us. 25 habits to avoid, uh, to add, not to avoid, sorry, 25 habits to add to your routine in order to be happy. And you look at that article and it says, sleep more, meditate, be off your phone more, all the things we know. Like antiquity, perhaps the word joy is not used much because we are bombarded with the word happiness, and they are not the same. The world feeds us with happiness images that we will be happy through food and entertainment and shopping, oh, shopping, and food and entertainment and, and social media and all of that. And we do all of these things but more often than not, this poem by Ch Cheney Gorkin sums up our experience with happiness and life. She writes, Today was the absolute worst day ever. And I don't try to convince me that there's something good in every day because when you take a closer look, the world is a pretty evil place. Even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's not true that it's all in the mind and the heart, because true happiness can be attained only if one's surroundings are good. It's not true that good exists. I'm sure that you can agree. The reality creates my attitude. It's all beyond my control. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that today was a very good day. In antiquity or today, it seems that joy is seldom mentioned or experienced. And so to the New Testament world and to our world today, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. He uses this word joy that you don't find used very often in antiquity. And in fact, he uses joy or rejoicing 16 times in the short epistle to the Philippians. 16 times he uses this word joy, which has the meaning of be well, by the way. The blessing we say at the end of each of our service and the way we greet each other, right? Joy, be well, thrive, be glad. Given the profound skepticism of the world, this is subversive, what Paul is saying. And more so, Paul is writing this from prison with his life in danger. Yet, 
Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in a world pervaded by suffering and death, Paul in Philippians invites us into a new approach, a new approach that seeks not to avoid suffering, but to embrace suffering. A new approach making suffering and death for the gospel the, where, the very way to joy and to life. And to rejoice in the Lord, the key phrase for Paul here is rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord signifies that the Lord is either the object of our rejoicing or it's grounding the one in whom our joy thrives. And here it is actually both. God is both the object of our rejoicing and the grounding of our rejoicing. Paul's vision is joy, for joy is, is neither superficial nor short-lived like happiness. No, his vision for joy is anchored firmly in the Lord for the long haul despite obstacles. This phrase, in Christ, is a signature concept for Paul. In fact, he uses in Christ or some variation of it at least 164 times in the New Testament. In the Lord, in Christ, this phrase highlights Jesus the Christ, who Christ is, where Christ is, what Christ is doing here and now, and what it means for us to be found in Christ. Joy is nothing more than the exuberance of temporary inner delight unless it is anchored in the permanence of the work of Christ in the Lord. Our faith is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our trust is in Christ. Our peace is in Christ. Our healing is in Christ. Our redemption is in Christ. Our freedom and insurance and inheritance is in Christ. And Paul says our joy is in Christ. True and lasting joy comes from the confidence that no matter what happens, we are inseparably connected to God and we are safe in God. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul is not trying uh, to tell us what to do, but points us to the one in whom and with whom we are doing it. Rejoice in the Lord. These four words summarizes the gospel. We do not create or manufacture our joy like we do in the world of happiness. No, we do not create or manufacture our joy. Our joy is because of God. God is the origin of our joy. God is the goal of our joy. And God is the enabler of our joy. It is all about God. Rejoice in the Lord always, and it is only because joy is in the Lord that Paul now can continue in saying, always rejoice in the Lord always. The inclusion of this adverb always suggests regardless of circumstances or at all times. 
Paul writing to his friends from prison with an uncertain future before him and perhaps before them, Paul is living in the moment, even in prison, facing death. Every moment is a gift from God filled with the reality of God all around him. Joy in the Lord always is not only joy that is enduring, but it is also joy that sustains us even when we are worn down by life's circumstances and challenges. It is this reversal of the way that we normally set about achieving happiness in our world. It is, it is an entire reversal that Paul is bringing in his new approach. Humanly speaking, Happiness seems to be above all about favorable circumstances. I am happy when I'm surrounded by my friends. I am happy when I have a desirable future ahead of me. I am happy when I have a rewarding job. I am happy when my father mentions me in the sermon. <laughs> Leah, Amelie, Levi, Kiri who requested to be mentioned in the sermon today, so there you go. <laughs> I am happy when my circumstances are good, but in this case, Paul reverses this. It would be impossible to rejoice always because life leads us through dark valleys just as often as it does to exhilarating mountaintops, amen? Hugh McKay says it best, and I'm going to quote his very long quote here. I actually attack the concept of happiness. The idea that, I don't mind people being happy, by the way, but the idea that everything we do is part of the pursuit of happiness seems to me a really dangerous idea and has led to a contemporary disease in Western society, which is the fear of sadness. It is a really odd thing that now we're seeing people saying, write three things down that made you happy today before you go to sleep, and cheer up, and happiness is our birthright, and so on. We're kind of teaching our kids that happiness is the default position. It's rubbish, he's Australian. It's rubbish. Wholeness is what we ought to be striving for, and part of that is sadness, disappointment, frustration, failure, all of those things which make us who we are. Happiness and victory and fulfillment are nice little things that also happen to us, but they don't teach us much. Everyone says we grow through pain, and then as soon as the experience of pain comes, they say, quick, move on, cheer up. I'd like for a year to have a moratorium on the word happiness and to replace it with the word wholeness. Ask yourself, is this contributing to my wholeness? And if you're having a bad day, it is. Wholeness, wellness, joy is embracing suffering in our lives and in the world. Rejoice in the Lord Always, because joy is never alone. Joy, its companions are pain and fear. And at times in Paul's letters in the New Testament, he displays some more than others. 
See, Paul's sense of joy is not the absence of pain or fear, but the presence of Christ in whom he places his hopes and his fears. Always. It's a statement that calls for ongoing activity. One not based on one's particular circumstances. Paul's new approach to suffering is to embrace it, not avoid it. And this is the great reversal. Joy is not escape from this world. Joy is celebration within this world as it is. Did you catch that? Joy is not escape from the world. It is celebration within this world as it is. Glennon Doyle says it best when she says, being human is not about feeling happy. It is about feeling everything. Being human is about feeling everything. When we feel everything, we lean into the experience of biblical joy. Joy for Paul is not a feeling that is dependent on circumstance. In fact, for Paul, joy is a theological act. It is choosing to reflect on God's actions to redeem the cosmos even when all present circumstances might indicate that some other power is in charge or had won. Joy stems from Paul's vision of God's super exaltation of Christ after his super humiliation with death on a treasonous cross. Joy stems from Paul's vision that the peace that passes all understanding is in God, from God, with God, and that God intends peace for all the world and our lives. Paul is not, by the way, just advocating the power of positive thinking. Rejoice in the Lord always. We should not confuse this for the power of positive thinking or happiness. Joy is not happiness. Joy is about more than just technique or persuasion. Joy is about filling one's mind with what Paul sees as the signs of God's life. Not so that we will feel good, but because this is another way of filling oneself with God and so allowing God's life to flow through us to the world and people around us. And just to be clear, Rejoicing in life's difficult moments does not somehow make the suffering go away or minimize injustice. Rather, rejoicing acknowledges that we are serving the one and only God who can rectify wrongs, who can and has stood in solidarity with the oppressed. Rejoicing in the face of gross injustice is a courageous theological act, a theological hope lived out in the present that stems from a vision of God's shalom, a peace so glorious that it is transforming and claiming our lives even in the present. Rejoice in the Lord always. We don't avoid suffering through escape. We embrace suffering with God. This is perspective shifting reversal 
that Paul brings in this verse. And so this perspective-shifting reversal brings me back to this poem that we had just read earlier. And perhaps there is a way that we can see the reversal in this poem. Because if we think that today was the absolute worst day ever, and don't try to convince me that there's something good in every day, because when you take a closer look, this world is a pretty evil place. Even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's not true that it's all in the mind and heart because true happiness can be attained only if one's surroundings are good. It's not true that good exists. I'm sure you can agree that the reality creates my attitude. It's all beyond my control, and you'll never in a million years hear me say that today was a very good day. But we can reverse this when we move away from the world of happiness to God's joy and say that today was a very good day. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that it's all beyond my control. My attitude creates the reality and I'm sure that you can agree, it's not that good exists only if one's surroundings are good. True happiness or joy can be attained because it's all in the heart and mind. And it's not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. Some goodness does shine through the world once in a while, even if this world is a pretty evil place. Because when you take a closer look, there's something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today was the absolute worst day ever. Oh God, and in Christ we have a perspective shifting reversal. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, always. And then, just to be sure, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say, rejoice. In case Paul is not clear, he repeats himself. In case we do not get it, we repeat it to ourselves. Rejoice, and again, I will say rejoice, and again and again. The, word, the phrase, I will, can be mean in the future. In the future, I will rejoice no matter what comes. In the future, I will rejoice, or I will say can also mean a commitment or a resolve. I will say rejoice. It is a future promise, and it is a present commitment. And this frame of mind leads us directly to a deep, confident calm in the midst of suffering, empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Happiness is temporary. Joy is eternal. It's a theologian, Karl Barth, who once called joy, he said, joy is a continual, defiant, nevertheless. Joy is a continual, defiant, nevertheless. A deep, confident commitment. Nevertheless, 
Paul says, I am shipwrecked, nevertheless. I am bound by chains, nevertheless. I am depressed and discouraged, nevertheless. You are hungry and lonely, nevertheless. You are anxious about today, tomorrow, nevertheless. You see little sign of hope, nevertheless. Paul says, nevertheless. There is hope and joy and promise in the Lord, nevertheless. I want to close, Ruben, if you can show the last slide, a story from Instagram that happened. Uh, there was a grandma who did a group text to all her family. And uh, she sent out a group text to everybody, like grandmas do. And she said, Thanksgiving dinner at my house on November 24 at 3 p.m., let me know if you're coming. Hope to see you all. Of course, that includes Amanda and Justin. <laughs> they get a special shout out. What she didn't know, the grandma here, is that she included someone in this group text. This was back in 2016. She included someone that's not part of her family. And this person chimed into the thread, who's those? <laughs> so who's this? And she responds back, your grandma with a wonderful grandma emoticon. <laughs> Who's this? Your grandma. Grandma? Can I have a picture? <laughs> grandma says, of who? <laughs> Stranger says, you, lol. <laughs> Next. Then we get the picture that grandma sends. Beautiful picture of grandma. She says, yes, here I am at work. And then, in the next one, he responds back, you're not my grandma. <laughs> Can I still get a plate, though? <laughs> and grandma says, of course you can. That's what grandmas do. Feed everyone. Little cake emoticon. <laughs> and so, if you go to the next slide, this is what happens. Jamal went to have Emil with grandma <laughs> took his girlfriend wrong. This happened in 2016, and it went viral across the internet. You may have seen this, and what a beautiful, joyous story. If you can go to the next slide, you will see here that for, for five years, going on six years now, every Thanksgiving, Jamal was now included in the family thread. <laughs> We're going to have a Thanksgiving meal. In 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020, they had Thanksgiving meal together. If you go to the next slide, we will see a picture of him and Lonnie. Lonnie, the husband, in April of 2020, contracted COVID. So did she, Wendy. And unfortunately, Lonnie passed away a couple of weeks after contracting COVID with complications. Never. Nevertheless, rejoice in the Lord, always. And again I say rejoice. Nevertheless, when life threw them death, they continued in that commitment to be together in love with food and thanksgiving. 
And you'll see here on the next slide, this is from his Twitter account just a couple, November 14, a couple days ago. Again, Grandma has the group text. <laughs> Thanksgiving Day uh, to share good food and great conversation. Your friend always, Wanda. And Jamal jumps in. Yes, we would love to. What time are you thinking? 2 p.m. That's perfect. We'll see you then. Great. Can't wait to see you guys. Isn't that beautiful? Rejoice. In the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice. Biblical joy is not about temporary happiness, but joy is about being rooted in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. Our joy is directed towards God, is grounded in God, and is enabled by the Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always. In the future, whatever may come my way. And I will say again, I am making this commitment to rejoice in the midst of my present suffering and the present suffering of my world for the glory and goodness of God. And how do we practice peace? Our sermon series, by practicing the last verse of our passage today, Philippians 4, verse 4 and 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then Paul says, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These are the words that Kevin used from Scripture to write the song we're going to sing in just a second. Thank you, Kevin, for inspiring us with your original words and music, but also with the Word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In fact, the Greek here means that has power over. So rejoice. Rejoice and may the peace of God that has power over all circumstances or understandings guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. rejoice.